We are in a series looking at the oppositions we face as Christians. That Jesus said that when you follow him, it's not, it's not all going to be easy. In fact, he identifies three headwinds, three enemies of the soul. That as Christians that you will experience. And throughout Scripture, we're told to understand these oppositions, to understand their strategies, that we may not fall victim to them, that we may resist them. So up until Lent, I mean through Lent, up until Easter, we're looking at these three enemies of the soul. We have a companion book called Live No Lies by our friend John Mark Homer, and he studies these three enemies in depth. And this is what he says in his book. He says, our war against the three enemies of the soul... It's not a war of guns and bombs. It's not against other people at all. It's a war on lies. And the problem is less that we tell lies and more that we live them. We let false narratives about reality into our bodies and they wreak havoc in our souls. Here's my working theory. As followers of Jesus, we are at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the three enemies' stratagem is as follows. And here's this helpful Diagram showing how this triple threat works together to oppose you in your walk with Jesus. The devil brings deceptive ideas. We've looked at that already. But these desires are deceptive because they actually land on our disordered desires. And then we make these decisions and we are cheered on in these decisions because they're normalized in society. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And we're on part two of really understanding the enemy called the flesh. The flesh. It's a weird word, and it really is just a biblical word to describe the inner battle that we face. The inner battle of desires that are not good for us. The desires of our body. The desires that we feel that will hurt us and hurt others. This is explained well by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6. We have it on the screen here. Where he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Unlike what L.A. says, you be you, do whatever you want. No, we actually have a mixed bag of desires that the Bible says very clearly that some desires are not healthy. They are of the flesh. We have this battle within us to say yes to the things of God and say no to the disordered desires that take us away from him. Genesis 1 through 3 wonderfully explains why we got into this mess of mixed desires. We are made in the image of God, and therefore when we come to Jesus in particular, we want the things of God. We want mercy and justice and love and unity and friendship and health. We want all these things because we're made in the image of a loving, good God. But we also rebelled, and through that rebellion, we were warped, and therefore these same desires can be turned inward and destructive. And these desires of destruction, the flesh, are known by two characteristics. They're always self-centered and they're always short-term pleasures for long-term destruction. The short-term desires 
for selfishness, for greed, for gluttony, for misusing sex, for feeling good in the moment, but we know this isn't good long term, for bitterness, for revenge, for losing your handle with someone, whatever it may be, these short-term desires that we give into, we know, oh, this isn't going to be healthy. But we struggle to say no. We are a mixed bag of desires. Paul summarizes these anti-God desires as anti-love. They're actually, they're, they're warped in on ourselves, away from loving others, and they're warped away from the things of God towards things of destruction. We see this played out in all of our life, right? This battle of desire. Knowing that some things will be healthy and some things not. And so it is in the physical realm, so it is in our spiritual realm. You know, I said last week, I can be standing outside, sidecar donuts, and there used to be press juicery. I can be there for days wondering which one to go for. I know one's not going to do well, and one's going to bring health, but I have this battle within and we have that battle every day, not only in those little things, but also in the big things. Should I watch this? Should I say this about this person? Should I do that? Should I spend that? Should I put more on the credit card? Should I? It all feels good in the short term. But we know we will end up unhealthy in our physical being, in our mental health, in, in our spiritual being. This battle is real. It's really reassuring for me that this battle is real. And Paul says, it's not going to go away. It's just you have to learn how to fight it. I did think for years that if I was a true Christian, I wouldn't be in this battle. And then I would give into it because I felt a failure. But actually, Paul says to us that this battle is real and rather than just say, you know what, Jesus, take these feelings away, Paul says that we actually have to engage in the battle to understand how to say no to the flesh and yes to the things that God has for us. So I want to do this morning, very briefly look at some of the strategies of what it means to be able to say no and to say yes. It's a very practical one. If you weren't here last week, it's kind of based on a lot of last week. So I'm afraid if you weren't here last week, you'll catch up a bit. But I want to be very practical because there's no point sending people out into warfare without strategies to overcome. And I had a feeling this week in talking to many people that many of us feel lost in how to say no to the flesh. That actually we're crippled with saying yes all the time. And don't worry, that is normal. That's a normal experience for the Christian sometimes. Paul even says in Romans chapter 7, man, I keep on doing what I don't want to do, and I keep not doing what I do want to do. And so we have to understand how we overcome the flesh. And the first thing is, Paul tells us that we have to understand the power of a seed. The power of a seed. In Galatians chapter 6, it's on the screen. In talking about the flesh and entering into the battle with the flesh, he says this, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. 
Let us not therefore become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Paul is saying that the quality of your life in discovering the eternal life of Jesus, which begins now, the, the love, the joy, the peace, the purpose, the meaning, the freedom that Jesus brings into our life versus the destruction of depression, anxiety, addiction, and just darkness in our life. The difference between these two things is where you plant seed. These things don't happen overnight, Paul is saying. Paul is saying that the difference in these two directions and trajectories and fruit, if you will, in your life is down to not a one-off experience, although that can have significant effect. It's more likely down to where you plant your daily decisions. The little seeds of life. Am I going to watch that? Am I going to pull back from that person? Am I going to just linger a bit in imagining about that. Little seeds. Little flesh goes, come on. That won't hurt. Oh, the little seeds of, you know what? I'm going to worship Jesus this morning. You know what? I'm going to go serve in the Salvation Army Thursday night. You know what? I'm going to actually encourage a friend today. Paul says, that your future quality of your spiritual life, and in fact the whole of your life, is a cumulative effect of these daily decisions of where you sow seed. Cornelius Plantinga, in his amazing book, The Brevity of Sin, talks about this. He says, no matter what we sow, the law of returns, returns applies. Good or evil, love or hate, justice or tyranny, grapes or thorns, a gracious compliment or a peevish complaint, whatever we invest, we tend to get it back with interest. Lovers are loved, haters hated. Forgivers usually get forgiven. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. God is not mocked for what you reap, you reap whatever you sow. So many times I'm tempted to sow into the flesh. The little daily decisions to do this or do that. Thinking, and I can justify in my head, right? Oh, it's only a tiny thing. No harm done. It won't cultivate anything. It's not going to do anything. And yet, Paul is saying, a lot of these little daily decisions will start to make the next decision that little bit easier. They'll start to make that little decision a bit more easy. Actually, your appetite will then start to grow until eventually there's a whole thorny bush that's grown that's hurting you and hurting others. The little seed will never just remain a seed, but it will grow. A little bitter comment might result in a bitter heart that might result in further bitterness, and on and on it goes. A little unforgiveness will start to result in an unforgiving heart, and then it will slowly grow. Whatever it may be, Paul says, when you plant that seed in that direction, you lose control and it takes on a life on its own. I've got so many friends 
in pastoral ministry, I, I went to seminary, so I got lots of friends. And the sad thing is a few of them have ended up in situations where they've had to step out of ministry because they've sabotaged their own life, their family, and their ministry through alcohol, alcoholism, affairs, or power of abuse. And I talk to them, and it's tragic, and I say, how did it end up this way? And it never is. Well, yeah, okay, one day I woke up, and I just thought, I'm going to have an affair today. Or it never got to the place where, you know, I woke up one day and I thought, hi, huh, I'm going to steal a lot, a lot of money from the church. Or I never woke up and thought, huh, I think I'd like to down a whole bottle of vodka this morning. It's absurd, isn't it? And yet, that's exactly where they ended up. Why? Because they didn't realize the power of a seed. The power of just, you know what, I'm feeling a bit lonely, feel feeling a bit depressed, I'm just going to watch that a bit too long. I know that's probably not good for me, but you know what? Short-term pleasure. There's an open wound. You know what? It moved on to, this is the real story of someone saying, it moved on to, you know what? I just used to look at that person and all of a sudden she took my eye and it's like I lingered a bit long. Actually, I then met, just got chatting and I found myself being a bit flirtatious. It felt good. Just that short-term, selfish little desire. And before we, he knew it, he was in a place of an affair which then destroyed him, her, and then his marriage. He never thought he'd get there, but it's the power of a seed. The great news is, the opposite also applies. That when you, Paul says, when you invest in the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life, little seeds there bear much fruit in your life. And you start to see the life of God open up to you because you're planting little seeds in the kingdom of God and that the Holy Spirit will take that seed and bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. The gifts of the Spirit will be you know, starting to be used by God in, in healing and prophecy and miracles. All these things because you planted seeds there instead of planting seeds here. It's the power of a seed. And this is how we understand how we overcome the flesh because it's a matter of not willpower but planting seed. It's refusing through willpower to plant seed over there. And then through your willpower, go, I'm going to plant seed here. Now, seeds don't transform you. So willpower cannot transform you. But it's where you plant the seed with your willpower, that's what takes off and bears fruit in your life. So I want to look very briefly over the next 15 minutes at creating an ecosystem in your life that helps you not plant seeds here and plant bucket loads of seeds over here. Right? Jesus often warned his disciples. He said, watch out. Watch out for greed. Watch out for these things. Get a plan in place. Don't go into this warfare without a strategy. So here's a strategy. 
five things that I have over the years tried to put in the ecosystem of my life to stop me planting seeds here and just to throw seeds over here. Right? We're going to start with the first one. Number one, crucify the flesh. Crucify it. This is what Paul says in Galatians 6. He doesn't say, oh, just be nice with the flesh, but try and ignore it. Doesn't say, you know what, just try and be try and ignore, just move on. In the strongest possible words, Paul says, crucify it. I mean, that's like kill. That's why the old theologians of the Puritan age said mortification of the flesh. In other words, don't mess around with it. The power of a seed will become an overwhelming tree of destruction in your life. And the easiest place to start is just watch out for those seeds before they get a power unto themselves. And so crucify the flesh. Now, I'm just going to say to you very practically, only you know the vulnerabilities in your life, particularly for you, of the flesh. And therefore, once you are aware of those vulnerabilities, make sure you have a system in place that never allows those vulnerabilities to, to germinate new seeds. Right? So as you know, there are things in my life which I go, absolutely, I need to always watch that. So I will never get a part-time job at Sidecar Donuts, for example. <laughs> Customers will come in and they'll go, can I have a donut? And I'll have glaze dripping down my chin, go, I'm so sorry, we've run out. You know, there's always things that I know that is my, on a very simplistic level, I'm aware of those things. But this is not the venue for that, but... I have other vulnerabilities that I will be aware of. That I also equally go, I need to put in the systems that I actually don't even let seeds go into those areas. Right? I won't even let a seed go into that area. Because I know there's rich soil. <laughs> I don't have to do a lot. If a seed drops there, it's going to germinate. Now that's unique for you. That's why Paul says, you know, there are no, there's no legalism around these things. You can some, can, some can have a glass of wine, some can't. Don't despise the other, just honor one another. That, you know what, that is my, I have put up boundaries, I'm crucifying the flesh in that area. One little practice for you is to go away this week, come before the Lord and say, Lord, show me the vulnerabilities of my flesh. That I may. Watch that there isn't even a tiny seed that gets dropped on that. Now, I could at the front say, uh, guys, I can tell you right now what one of those vulnerabilities is going to be. But you know what? You need to look at that yourself and go, okay, what am I going to do? I'm so proud of some of my friends who, these are real life examples of what they've done to make sure that they never let a seed even go near that place. One man said to me, you know what? I've actually stopped internet Wi-Fi at my house fully. Like, wow. Wow. <laughs> now again, this I'm see, there's a reaction, isn't there, in all of us go, that's a bit drastic. Right? And that could be drastic for you. It's not needed. But here's the thing: I am so proud of someone who takes that decision. It's like, wow. 
Because guess what his life's going to be and where he's going to be in 10 years' time? He's reaping the fruits. Right? I know somebody who says, you know, I'm not, never going to drink again. Someone said to me this last two weeks, you know what, I kept trying to think I could drink responsibly. I can't. I'm done. Good for you, man. What you watch, what you say, where you go, where you do, just you know in the Spirit of the Lord will tell you, you can't do, you shouldn't do that. I, I, you know, it's funny. Like the other day I said I walked out of a movie. Lizzie was away in England and I went to a, um, a place, a movie, PG-13, and I was sitting down. And you know what? I, I'm not a prude. I watch all sorts of stuff on TV that I think is fine, but other people look at me and go, you're crazy. Like I love, for example, uh, South Korean zombie movies. And... Train to Busan, ever, anybody, uh, come on. Um, but they're almost like comical for me, and they don't affect me, but I was watching this other movie, and I thought, no, this is not good for me. So I'm in PG-13, and everything went through my mind. I think it was the enemy going, don't be stupid. Don't be a prude. Don't be legalistic. What's wrong with this? It's got great reviews. I said this last week, right? I remember thinking even, gosh, I got to watch this now. I should watch this so I can help and understand the entertainment world. And all yes, it was just kind of justifying, but I knew the Spirit of God was saying, walk out. And so I did. I was in the middle row, in the middle section. But I did. And that's a little small decision, but they are small decisions of where you plant seed. So I'm in, in, encouraging you, watch where you're planting seed. Number two. So that's the only thing we're going to do there. Because I think most of keeping in step with the Spirit and winning the battle of the flesh is not obsessing and focusing there. It's actually focusing on Jesus. And so the second ecosystem practice in your life is cultivate ongoing passion for God. Cultivate ongoing passion for God. You know this as well as I do. Any relationship needs investment. If you ignore a relationship, it goes dry. Same thing with your relationship with God. You can follow Jesus and be in the family, but if you don't invest in your relationship with God, you're still in the family, but you'll feel at a distance. Right? And so you need to actually put in place things in your life that will go, I'm going to cultivate desires and cultivate passions for Jesus because when that happens, all this stuff even loses its taste. When you're so in love with God and the things of God, the things of, the, as that old hymn says, the things of this world, they fade away. So I want to encourage you to do four things. My year is kind of, just in my own walk with God, rotates around four things to help me stay passionate in my relationship with Jesus. The first is daily, just daily connection with him. I do it first thing in the morning, so if I don't do it first thing in the morning, I get busy. So I walk the dogs in the morning and I just spend some time with God. Just bringing my life before him, praying. Not for too long. I just check in every day. Number two is weekly. I love coming on Sundays to church. And I find it really difficult to miss it. Not because I'm paid 
not to miss it. <laughs> you talk to anybody before then. It's because I know in my sowing seeds that will reap a harvest is gathering with the church every Sunday and worshipping Jesus, encountering his presence, standing before him with his words, serving one another weekly. Three, quarterly, I do Alpha pretty much three times a year. Alpha is a series of dinners where people who are unsure about faith or rethinking their faith have a safe environment without judgment or pressure to kind of process their doubts and beliefs. I'm on my 39th Alpha. And I do that not because I'm unconvinced of Jesus. I am convinced of Jesus. But I do it as a spiritual discipline and a joy, but it worked both ways. Because I know that when I do that, and when I'm around people searching, when I'm praying for people who are searching, when I'm empathizing with where people are at, and nobody comes to a worldview without some kind of trauma in their life, and I love to hear kind of what brought them to their worldview, I find the Spirit of God just starts to flow through my veins. Everyone knows that after Alpha, on Tuesday night, I'm alive. I feel like in the zone, spiritually. Now that may not be you. Maybe kingdom comes or it could be serving Salvation Army, whatever it may be. I feel alive and I'll have regular rhythms of that throughout the year. And then finally, an, an annual mountaintop experience where I'll go away and look at some kind of conference, some kind of going away where I can actually be out of the city, out of the regular life and like climb a mountaintop to be with Jesus. Four things. I will schedule them in my life because I know the importance of sowing seeds in my relationship with God. Okay, thirdly, the spiritual practices. Our friend John Mark Homer has really helped us understand a lot more that the habits of Jesus, the lifestyle of Jesus was all about sowing into sowing into his relationship with God through certain practices. Like you go to the gym, right? And circuit training, and there's lots of little different things you do. Same thing with spiritual health. There are exercises that you do to sow into your relationship with God and access his power in your life. We've been so against any kind of effort in the Protestant world that we've actually forgotten that Jesus lived his life around a pattern of living that connected himself with God's empowering presence, the Holy Spirit. And those patterns of living help us crucify the flesh and connect us with Jesus. So those patterns of living are things like Sabbath, solitude, silence, gratitude, celebration, fasting. Jesus did all of these things to model to us that when we follow Jesus, we have a different way of living, not just a different belief system. Because this way of living connects us with the, the presence of God in our lives. And it cultivates, it cultivates a life of love and joy and peace and patience. When you sow into busyness, when you sow into overactivity, when you sow into all these things, you know the results. Jesus says, you need to give your life to practices that help connect you with me. And so often these practices, you can choose which ones to do because they will counter 
the areas of your life that you're most vulnerable to in the flesh. Right? So if you're an introvert and you love being by yourself, you probably don't need the, self, the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. You may. You probably need the, the spiritual discipline of community and celebration. Right? If you love to talk all the time, if you love to overthink all the time, if you're constantly busy, then you're going to have to go into the furnace of silence and solitude <laughs> to get in touch with what's going on inside, to meet with Christ in a new way. Sabbath is there for every 21st century Los Angelino to tell us that we should stop and live in a place of, you know, I'm dependent upon God, not just my activity for the things of this world. Fasting, for those who are prone to overconsumption, to overeating, whatever it may be, fasting can go, you know what, I'm going to actually put aside some time to fast and use the hunger of my body not to indulge it, but to drive me into the presence of God. I want to encourage you that I think the Holy Spirit is reigniting his church into these spiritual practices. That we go, why am I anxious? Why am I depressed? Why am I hyper? Why am I feeling down? Why am I giving into the flesh? Why am I... It's actually, look at your life. That you're not sowing through the practices into the Spirit of God. And so, no surprise what you're reaping. Okay, fourthly, inner healing. So much, so, so much of the flesh is amplified because of the brokenness of our background. We are all born broken. But that is amplified because of our experiences in life. Maybe some family, family history. Maybe some events and circumstances in our lives. They all have maybe left their mark. And I know they have in mind. And so sometimes the battle of the flesh, it feels like it's overwhelming because these things are so huge because I have not found healing in these areas. And actually, in my case, I have avoided them or just ignored them and then wonder why can I get breakthrough? That's why we, Ash runs, Pastor Ash runs Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Every kind of, every year we run that about twice. The next one's coming up after Easter. A course that we did during COVID, many of us, and we found that the Holy Spirit meets us in these pain points of our history and heals us that we can move on. I want to encourage everyone, if you've not done that, please join us on the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course after Easter. Because sometimes you realize in that environment, oh my word, that's why I'm so vulnerable to that. And in order to stop being vulnerable of that, I need to invite the Holy Spirit into this. Now, sometimes it's not, you know, we need to go beyond the emotionally healthy spirituality course and get medical or therapeutic help. And so I've absolutely been the recipient, the beneficiary of therapy in my life. Where I've sat down and they've processed some of the things 
of my background. So please do, go on that journey of going, you know what? There are probably some things in, inside that have amplified the flesh. And I want to see God heal them. And finally, number five, friendships. Friendships. The flesh is at its most toxic when you are alone. Alone. And even worse, when you're lonely. Eve looked at the apple and thought, ooh, that looks really good. I wonder what would have happened if Adam was around. Not any male-female thing. Could have been vice versa. It's just a, a situation where God said it's not good for you to be alone. We were meant to be in this battle as a team, not to go into battle alone. And yet we live in an epidemic of loneliness. We've been taught not to be vulnerable. We've been taught to compete with others. We're living in a city where people have moved from all around the world and are moving constantly to other places in the world. You make friends and you lose friends. We're a city of freelancers. Very few people like make friends with their colleagues because they don't work next to a colleague. And then we're in cars and geography means that we're so distant from each other. As I say before, if I meet someone from Glendale, we've really connected, I just go, well, see you in heaven, bro. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's that kind of, oh. And particularly, there's a, read all the articles, there are, Men who, for whatever reason, culturally and economically and vocationally, wake up around 45 years old and they realize, I've got no friends. I used to have buddies at college. Then we all went our different ways to go to careers. My career has moved me all around the country. I've had a family. I've really invested there. It's been great. I've invested in my career. I'm now VP of this, whatever it is. But I've got no friends. No wonder then, a lot of those same guys are vulnerable to the flesh. Now, everyone in the room is going, okay, Geb, that's me. Where do I find these friends? Right? If you're asking that, you're not alone, because that's the number one question that most people tell me, is where are my friends? I don't have these friends. There's a picture that is behind my chair in the office. And it resonates with one of the most crucial aspects of my own spiritual journey is I need friends to lift my arms up when I am weak. This is Moses with his buddies Aaron and Hur lifting his arms over the battle because God said, if you keep your arms up, the battle's gonna, you'll win the battle as a sign of dependence upon me. But Moses got tired. How many of you get tired fighting the flesh sometimes? I'm tired. I'm gonna give in. I'm gonna put my arms down. I need friends to lift me up. During COVID, I realized I did not have Aaron and hers in my life. And so I reached out to old friends. I prayed and I reached out. They lived all over the world. I reached out and I said, guys, I don't know about you, but I need, I'd love to rekindle a friendship where we can be vulnerable, where we can be honest, where I can say X, Y, Z, 
I can talk about my temptations. I can talk about the flesh. I can talk about how tiredness, whatever it may be. I need people in my life like that. And guess what they said? We need it too. And so every two weeks we get on Zoom together for about an hour and we chat. They're all pastors all over the world. And it's just been that such a beautiful way of me sowing into the spirit, having spiritual friends. And we're all going to meet up. I've told you this before. We're going to meet up in three weeks just after Easter. Two of them are in, uh, one's in Vancouver, Canada. One's in Sydney, Australia. One's in Melbourne. One's in New York. And one's in Edinburgh. So clearly the most convenient place is Hawaii. <laughs> so we'll be in Oahu. But you know what? It was, you know as well as I did, the, the foundation of those spiritual friends means that the guy in Edinburgh is going to go on a 30-hour flight to get there. Because we all need Aaron and hers to lift us up. Who are your Aaron and hers? We have ways to connect. We have, maybe you could rekindle some old relationships. Use Zoom. That's what I'm doing. Use flights. That's what I'm doing. Or maybe locally, find a group, get involved in a team, get involved in a group here to find those friends. And they're not Netflix friends, they're spirit friends. Right? It is not, did you watch the third series of Ozarks? It's, hey dude, can we pray together? Can I just say I've had a really bad week because I've had the flesh on fire. Can you help me? Can you pray with me? Friends. The great news is, this is an unfair battle because we have the Holy Spirit within us. It's an unfair battle. But we've got to cooperate with the Spirit. We can't just sit back and do nothing. We've got to cooperate. Sow seeds and the Spirit of God will transform your life and give you the life that Jesus longs for you to have. Let's stand together.